0: Welcome to a special Brewery Society Beers episode of Brutal Battle. Yes, so uh, this is the second one. I have now put together four other beers that I can put out one of these episodes for. And if you didn't listen to the first one, please go back and do that because I'm going to kind of, over the course of them, talk a little bit more uh, about the Brewery Society Beers. And that's B-R-U-E-R-Y, out of Placentia, California, um, and when you piece all the episodes together, it should be a, I, I guess I can't say a complete view of what the societies are like, but it'll be a lot of information for it. So you guys can kind of get a feel, but once again, I'm just doing this because I'm very passionate about the brewery beers. I've been in the society for a while now, uh, started in preservation and then went to uh, reserve society and would love to get to hoarder society at some point, but that's, you know, not very not very feasible, but we'll talk about those in another episode. So for this one, uh, well, first of all, in the last episode, all the beers that I had were in smaller formats. I had three that were in 16-ounce cans and one that was in a 375-milliliter bottle. So the first one I have for this one is in a 750-milliliter bottle. And this is also the first one I'm doing on these types of episodes that is a sour beer. I know the s'more bubbles that I did on the last one had a sour beer in it, but it was blended. So this is the one, the first one that's like sour beer, straight up sour beer. And um, I'm doing this, and I'm starting it this way with the sour beer to kind of let you guys know, hey, it's not all about just barrel aging. Like um, big beers that are not sour, they're spirit barrel aged. It's not all about that. Although <laughs> this is barrel aged, but you know. So that leads me to a little bit of my topic for this episode about the Brewery Societies. So the way they have it is Preservation Society, there's just a predetermined beers each quarter that you get, if you're a member of it. You pay a certain fee up front for the year, and then each quarter you get three beers. And then you'll also have access at a 10% discount, I believe, to purchase other beers that are available to you as Preservation Society first and then can become available to the public If all of them don't sell out and there's with all the societies, there's kind of a little bit of a trickle down where sometimes if, you know, there's a lot of stuff available at the hoarders level uh, there's a little bit left over after everyone's had time to do their purchasing, then it, a little bit might trickle down and become available for the Reserve Society. And then the same thing with whatever's available at Reserve may very well have a little bit of that trickle down to preservation. And then, like I was saying, you know, preservation, a little bit trickle out to the public. So one of the big things about these societies in general is that these are beers they're making specifically for each society level. Uh, so there are beers that... They're mainly making for Preservation Society. A lot of them are ones they're also going to put out to the public, but there are ones that are just done for Preservation Society. And then there are obviously ones that are done just for Reserve Society and then ones that are just done for Hoarders Society. So like I was saying, Preservation is quarterly and it's three beers per quarter, All 750 milliliters, although they may be changing that now since they're having more like 375 milliliter and 16 ounce cans available. So I don't know how that's going to be going forward. It's been a while since I've been in Preservation Society. Reserve Society, you pay your fee up front for the year, and then they say it's going to include these 11 beers, which actually they may have stepped it up this year. The past two years they've stepped it up. It used to be nine beers, then they kept the price the same, and then the the next year it was 11 beers and i think it's now like 12 or 13 beers for the same price again they keep increasing the value of what you're getting for what you're paying and not increasing what you're paying for that which is great so then they just kind of say you will get these beers over the course of the year and it's more of like a the beers will tell us when they're ready and then we you know we'll let you know that you're you can come and pick them up when they're available so i kind of like the way that that works. So that's how the Brewery Society or the Reserve Society goes. And then obviously with all these, you can purchase other beers that become available. But then there's the Hoarder Society and they get a box each month, I believe, that is, I think, six different beers, all 375 milliliter bottles, but two of each. And these are like super, super small batch things. So Hoarder Society being the rarest of the rare, super small batch. I've had the pleasure of tasting a few Hoarder Society beers, maybe three different ones in my time. One was actually, oh, I think all of them have been on podcasts, actually, so you can go back and look for that, but um, yeah. So uh, the other thing I wanted to illustrate with the brewery using the Cherry glazier. oh, I'm saying what it is, but Cherry Glacier is the beer that I'm doing first for this episode. But the reason, one of the reasons I'm kicking that off is because with the Brewery Reserve Society, they've changed it over the years so that you, you don't just get whatever beers they say up front, you have three options within the Reserve Society, which is you can go for all just barrel-aged beers that are not sour, you could go all sour, be- sour and funky beers, or you could go a combination of the two. And I go a combination of the two because being a person who loves, you know, big ABV barrel-aged beers and funky and sour beers, I want a little bit of both. So there are certain beers that I'm not going to get because I'm not on one side or the other, but I do get a good cross-section of both of them. So that's very cool. So anyway, let me, uh, enough with that talking, with that intro, and I'm going to pop this 750 milliliter Open. This is actually a collaboration beer done with the Rare Barrel, and a lot of people will know the Rare Barrel as doing, I believe they're a sour-only brewery, and they're pretty well-known for their sours. Apparently, they're very good. I haven't had anything by the Rare Barrel, so just letting you know. Uh, so, this Cherry glazier is a blended sour ale aged in wine barrels with cherries, lime, and ginger and it is 7% alcohol. I just realized, I hope this doesn't like overflow or something cuz that could really suck right now. I don't know, I wouldn't have a way to catch that. Pour this. All right. Just a little bit to start. How does it look? I mean, you can probably guess with cherries actually in it. Yes, it's red. It's kind of like a It's like a medium red, I'd say. It's not super dark. It's not super light. It's medium red. It's hazy. There's a haze to it. It's not fully clear, but it's not... It doesn't have a ton of haziness to it. But, um, yeah. I mean, it's a nice-looking color. It's got a little bit of a slightly pinkish head on top sitting there. Ooh. Definitely smell the sour first. Like with most sour beers, the first thing you get when you sniff it and sip it is... Sourness. So I got a lot of sour. I say it has lime? Yeah, lime. I definitely smell the lime too. So it's like sour. So I think the sour lime kind of hits the hardest. The cherry's definitely in there. I don't smell the ginger at the moment. It's got a slight type of like a funkiness on the nose too. I can smell, like, the wood character from the wine barrel, and I smell a little bit of, like, a tannic quality that I would assume is coming from the wine barrel, if it's a red wine. If not, then it might actually be from the cherry skins, if it's done with cherry skin. (sighs) I I mean, I would assume they would do it with the skins of the cherry instead of, like, peeling every cherry. (laughs) Well, or they could also be doing puree, because that's another option, but... Yeah, it smells really good. It does smell kind of wine-like, to be honest. It smells awesome. I'm going in. Ooh. Yeah. Real sour kick to my tongue up front. Supercharged with the lime. Like, it just kind of like, as soon as I took a sip, it just quickly spread over my tongue. It went from the contact point and just, like, spread out. Hmm. Need a few sips to acclimate to it. I am getting the ginger, though early on. I'm actually getting the ginger on the end of each sip, which is kind of like a nice transition out of the sourness. Mhm, yeah, okay. So I believe that the nose is very close with what the flavor is. Uh, I definitely get the cherry flavor in there. I definitely get a lot of the lime to be honest. And I think the lime's kind of mixing in with your typical, like, lemon sour notes that you're also just going to naturally get with a sour beer like this. It does have a slight funkiness to it. I am tasting what tastes like a red wine, basically. It is kind of tannic. There's a bit of a woodiness to it. Uh, And then, like I said, there's, like, a nice ginger. It's, It's soft, but there's a nice ginger kind of coming in at the end to kind of wash away the the sourness a little bit so it doesn't linger as harshly on your tongue as it could. Hmm. I like this. This is a nice beer. Plenty of cherry in there for people who like cherry. Plenty of sour for people who like sour. And people who like wine barrel-aged stuff, you're definitely going to be tasting that, that wine barrel. Really well put together. Very nice. Okay, now going on to beer number two. And this is one that's actually considered to be very ageable. Oh, and real quick, going back to the Cherry glazier that I just did, that one was from 2018, so it was almost around like a year old in the bottle. So this one's actually about four years old in the bottle, a little bit shy of that. So actually probably closer to three and a half years, but kind of between three and a half and four And um, this is one that they're very well known for going way back. This is Black Tuesday, and it is an Imperial Stout aged in bourbon barrels, and it's hefty because it comes in at 19.9% alcohol. This is a monster. And this is one of those beers that I was excited to get my hands on and excited to try when I initially tried it, but... The other, on the other hand, I was like, this is so high in alcohol that I don't want it in a 750 milliliter bottle. I want a 375 milliliter or a 16 ounce can or even a 12-ounce can would be great. So they have not put these out the uh these regular Black Tuesdays out in cans or 375 milliliters yet. So I'm hoping they get to it eventually because I've seen a bunch of other beers go that way. So there you go. But anyway, this one is like, four years old, like I said, so this should be interesting. I've never had a Black Tuesday that has had this type of age on it, and it's got... it doesn't have wax on it. It actually just has, like, a... like, a kind of... it's it's like a plastic film. It's not... It, it's kind of like an aluminum foil, um, top on it, but it's like a plastic film instead, so. Um, and... One of, well, I'll just start pouring it. Oh, yes. So I actually forgot what this was to say. So one of, one of the other reasons, other than just kind of talking about like vintage, finally having a vintage beer on this, uh, ep, one of these types of episodes is the fact that a lot of the beers that are barrel-aged, that are imperial stouts that the brewery puts out, especially for these societies, the base of them is is Black Tuesday or something like a Black Tuesday. So I figured it would be good to get this on an episode early on so that people would have an idea of, okay, that's what Black Tuesday is like. So that when we're doing beers that are kind of variants of Black Tuesday, we can make a comparison together. All right, so since it's got about four years in the bottle, there's not a whole lot of carbonation that comes out with it. There are a few little bubbles kind of sitting on the top. And when I swirl it up, it gets a little bit more, but not a lot. The other thing is it's really high alcohol, so you're not going to get a ton just hanging out there. When I swirl it up, it has got legs for days just kind of coming down slowly. Um, Looks like an Imperial Stout. A little bit of brownish on the edges. The smell. And actually, I can't smell like almost 20%. I smell booze in there, but it smells like ridiculously mellow for it being basically 20%. There's definitely some chocolate in there, like a little bit of a milk chocolate. There's a raisin note in there. There's that definite kind of bourbon character, a little bit of a woodiness, a little bit of a caramel, a little bit of like a vanilla going on. It smells like it's... Got decent alcohol, but yeah, it's not it's not crazy. It smells really good. It smells smoother than it should be, is how it smells. But I get a lot of bourbon character standing out in this beer. All right, going in. Definitely tickles your throat a bit on the way down. I get a decent amount of the raisin note coming through. Oh, the burn is... Definitely building, uh, because, you know, how's it not going to at that alcohol point? There's a definite chocolate note in there, but it's more subdued than I was assuming it would be. I'm definitely getting a lot of that kind of bourbon sweetness. There's a little bit of caramel going on. I do feel like I'm tasting a kind of woodiness, but there's a lot of raisin to it that wasn't there in the Fresh Black Tuesday that I had years, actually two, three years ago. No, maybe three, four years ago, actually. So this is obviously a very slow sipper at 19.9%. Um, so yeah, over time, it's kind of, I wouldn't say, it, it's thinned out in the sense of it's it's more raisin to it. And the cho- it used to be more chocolatey. And it's a lot less so now. Is this still a good beer? Yeah, it's still quite a good beer and it's still smoother than it has a right to be in my opinion as I'm sipping it, the um the co- the um there's a little bit of almost a coffee note lingering from like a real dark roastiness. uh the vanilla is growing a tad bit. And the chocolates kind of being more like a dark chocolate with a bitterness lingering in there. Hmm. It's, it's quite good. It is quite good. Yeah. It's more like coffee, dark chocolate coming through at the, at the end of each sip, which I really like. And I don't really remember having that so much when it was fresh. So I think that might be a change in that the age kind of puts on that. But yeah, that's a really nice beer. Like I said, Now this one's out of the way for comparison down the road when we have variations of this or other beers where this is just kind of a part of it. So yeah, really nice sipper, kind of more of like an after-dinner beer to sip on, in my opinion. And with 750 milliliters, share that with a friend until they get it down to 12-ounce cans, 16-ounce cans, 375-milliliter bottles, whatever. Anyway, on to beer number three. And I'm getting right to it with beer number three. Uh, This is basically a variant of Black Tuesday. This is one called PB and Jelly Thursday. This one is in another 750 milliliter bottle. I don't think this one's being canned or in smaller bottles yet. Um, Who knows if they'll get there. Uh, This is an Imperial Stout aged in bourbon barrels with peanut flour, boysenberries, and salt added. And as you can tell, not just from the name, but from the description, it's kind of supposed to be peanut butter and jelly, obviously with chocolate. Uh, This one is 19.2% alcohol, so it is very much like Black Tuesday in that it is huge. It is a big beer. This particular one, let me see if I can find what vintage this one is. I'm not sure what vintage this is. I, th- I believe this is a 2018, though. I'm pretty sure it's a 2018. I just can't find it on the bottle at the moment. And this is one that is waxed. So, with my trusty nail uh, opener, hopefully I can get through this thing. thing. Nope, i having, having trouble. I'll probably e- have to edit this down a little bit just to make it bearable to listen to. Okay, there we go. I finally got it off. Um, For you people listening to this podcast, I'm sure I edited that down, how long it took me to struggle with this thing. That was at least a solid minute. This looks like it's like three or four layers of wax, although actually it's probably just two thick layers on there. It just seems excessive. Like, really, I feel like you only need like one or two actual, like, thinner layers. Let's pour it. Okay, I don't think you need to guess too much on what it looks like. It's going to look like an Imperial Stout. Yes, actually, around the edges I can see a little bit of, like, a brown. Um, It's got a little bit of a head to it with the way I poured it agitated. Some kind of medium-sized bubbles kind of sitting on the top, and they're beige in color. I swirl this sucker up, and actually, you know what? For a 19.2% alcohol... The legs on this, when I swirl it, are not that thick. Huh, that's interesting. It's a little, it seems a little thinner than you would think it's going to be with that high ABV. Let me smell it. Okay, definitely get a lot of the bourbon right off the bat. It smells super boozy. Yeah, so the first thing it hits me is a ton of bourbon character. It's got a little bit of a vanilla to go with it, but it's very caramelly. It's very boozy. It's got a little bit of the wood. Uh, And then right under that, after I took my second sniff, I can start to get a little bit of that fruit coming through from the boysenberries. (sighs) I am also, it's very, very, very light, but on my third sniff, I can actually smell a very small amount of that peanut flour at the very end. It's coming off. It's like a super light touch of nuttiness. (sighs) Yeah. So it's mainly bourbon, to be honest. Uh the nose is super bourbony driven, and then it's just the the boysenberry comes in uh low right after that, and then the peanut flour even lower after that. And there is a little bit of a chocolate that goes on in there as well. Alright, I'm gonna go in. We can definitely taste that boysenberry. Definitely taste that boysenberry. It's definitely got a very present fruit character to it, and it's kind of almost at the same level as as the bourbon character. The bourbon is the main thing, but the, the boysenberry is just below that. Yeah, this is deceptively smooth, to be honest. The body is super, super smooth. Uh, I think maybe the salt has a little bit to do with that, in addition to the, those proteins coming from the peanut flour, but oh, now I'm starting to get a little bit of a burn in the back of my throat from that alcohol. Mm. But yeah, the body is kind of like a medium low body. Um, but yeah, it's super smooth. Uh, the you don't perceive the alcohol at 19.2. I mean, I could see someone telling me this is like a 12, maybe. And I would be, yeah, I would believe like a 12. So as it is now, and it's a little bit, it's still cold. It's not super cold, but it's still kind of cold. I get a lot of the boysenberry and that actually continues to grow as I take sips. So the boysenberry actually starts to take over the the um, alcohol and the the bourbon character. So on my first few sips, it was all about the bourbon. It was all about the bourbon character. It was vanilla. It was caramel. It was the wood. It was just that bourbon-y flavor and sweetness. And then the alcohol coming up behind it. And then the boysenberry that was almost there. And then I couldn't get any of that peanut flour. And I assume the the kind of smoothness, softness is from the peanut flour and the salt. Uh, So... As I took more sips, then the boysenberry starts to increase. That bourbon character starts to decrease and starts going below the boysenberry. And then I am just starting to get a little bit of that peanut character peeking out at the very end of each sip. Yeah, it's kind of, it's not super there, but it's there. I do like this, but it's mainly fruited. Uh, it, it doesn't seem so much as a PB and jelly as it is more of like a jelly. Because um, the, jelly, the jelly aspect of it is so much more than the peanut. Although as I continue to sip it, I do get a little bit more of the peanut. It's just so, so faint on the end. I would like more of that character, but I do like this beer, obviously. Um, yeah, and it is interesting because as I do get a little bit of that peanut... It's mixing with the salt. I feel like I'm also getting the saltiness to go along with the peanut. Almost like you're eating, well, just like the tiniest little piece of a salted peanut. Hmm. Yeah, it's good. The biggest thing for this is that the boysenberry tastes very nice there. Uh, backed up with the with that bourbon character. And the smoothness and the deception on that alcohol is... Very outstanding. So, yeah, another good one. And, like I said, it's kind of a variant of the Black Tuesday, in which there will be more of those to come. Probably not in this episode, but in episodes in the future, and I'll point that out. Anyway, on to beer number four. And for this one, we're ending the episode on a sour note, just like we started it on that sour note with that cherry glazier. Uh this one is actually the Oud Tarte Reserve. If people don't know, there's a beer that the brewery does that sometimes you can actually just get in stores. You don't have to be a society member. It's just called Oud Tarte, and it's their Flemish red or Flanders red, if people want to put it, however. Um so this one is Flemish style red ale aged in oak barrels, and that's one of the defining factors. I know we said it at one point on the podcast, but it's been a while. Uh one of the defining factors for Flemish-style red ales is that they are usually oak barrel-aged, so they have a nice softness that goes along with their uh, sourness and, yeah. So this one, what's special about this one? This isn't the normal oud tart. As it says reserve, so what it is, they say on here, only the best barrels of oud tart were selected for this special reserve offering, and it's 8.4% alcohol. So basically what they do is... They're making a lot of Oud Tart, and they release some in the stores, and that's a regular one, but for Reserve Society, they just figure out what is the best of the best, and they put that in bottles, and this is a 375-milliliter bottle of it. That's available for the Reserve Society. Um, I actually have had this before, so this is not the first time I'm tasting it, but it's been a little bit. I do remember liking it, so we'll see how that goes. They have had some variations of this particular beer in the past. Uh, I've had it with cherries before, and they've done it with at least one other uh, fruit, and I can't recall at the moment what that fruit was, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, oh, and one of the other things I did want to say real quick is a lot of the times when they're doing just the best they're figuring out that what the best tasting barrels were of this particular beer, and then they're blending them all together so that they're all consistent in their flavors from bottle to bottle so I don't know if that's what they did here. They didn't say that on on the label or anything, but um I know that that is done from time to time when things like that happen so I'm uh, gonna crack into this and this is a two thousand eighteen vintage so it's not really like old or anything or this. You can hear a nice little pour going on there, and I'm going to be uh, enjoying this by myself because Rebecca, she's not big on the sours as most people know, and she's actually at a wine, uh, I was going to say a wine club right now, it's actually a book club, but they drink wine and they eat really good food at a uh, local restaurant that has awesome food. Anyway, uh, looking at this, it looks like a Flemish red ale. It's very, like, brown, but it's kind of, like, orangish-reddish around the edges. Uh, it looks, I mean, I can't see through it. I can just see around the edges some color. It's got relatively large bubbles sitting on the top, and they're, like, slightly brown, like a yellowish brown. Ooh. It smells, so it smells sour. Okay. Take that back. It doesn't smell sour. It smells tart. And it smells soft at the same time. And I get a lot of wood character coming through as well. I'm getting that oak that this beer was aged in. And it smells really nice. Honestly, I'd be be really interested to know what type of oak. Or I'm sorry, not what type of oak. Actually, yeah, what type of oak. Because sometimes they say French oak. Sometimes they say American oak. But I'd also really want to know how long these were aged or if it's a few that were aged at different lengths and then blended together, but I'd like to know that, but it's not available on the label. Anyway, it smells fruity. There's actually a touch of honey on the end of each sniff, along with a little bit of an apple smell, but it's not like a, like a, um, acetylaldehyde type apple. It's not like that green apple that's an imperfection in beer. It's just like a soft, sweet apple smell. And it smells a little... I feel like I get a little, like, plum mixed with a little bit of fig. Fig or dates. To me, figs and dates are a little similar. But it smells really soft. And it almost smells kind of wine-like because that... The oak character in there is really making it smell tannic, like wine is. It smells good, though. I'm going in. Mm. Okay, there's a burst of tartness, but it's also very soft immediately. You know I have to do at least three sips in order to acclimate my palate to the sourness of the beer? Mm-hmm. So the sourness for the first, the first sip is low sour. The second uh, sip, it actually went up a little bit. And then the third sip, it came down. Hmm. Okay. I'm tasting a little bit of that apple on the finish and I am getting a little bit of that honey on the finish as well, but it's a lot more of kind of that, um, that like plum um, date-slash-fig flavor that I was talking about, and you taste a lot of the oak, and it does taste kind of tannic because of that oak character in there. It's very smooth, uh, and as I continue to sip it, that sourness keeps coming down further and further because my palate's used to it, and that's just making it nicer and nicer and smoother and smoother. Mmm. Yeah. This is like... In my opinion, this is an awesome uh, Flanders Red. Uh, I've had, I wouldn't say I've had a ton of Flanders Reds in my life, but I've had an okay amount of them, and this one ranks way up there. And speaking of ranking, uh, this is the end where I go ahead and say, of these four beers, what were my favorites, Where where do they end up here? So, oh, this is such a tough one. This is really good. Hmm, This is really good. Okay, so, excuse me, I'm actually, like, actually putting the bottles in order. Okay, so my number four beer for this episode is going to be the Cherry Glacier. Now, to refresh everyone, Cherry Glacier was the one that was done in collaboration with the Rare Barrel. It's a blended sour ale aged in wine barrels with cherries, lime, and ginger. That was a very good beer. The problem is these are all very good (laughs) beers. It's just where do I rank them? Uh, My number three for this episode was the PB and Jelly Thursday, which was an Imperial Stout aged in bourbon barrels with peanut flour, boysenberries, and salt added. Um, The more I kept drinking this one, uh, the boysenberries just kept getting to be more and more and more. I didn't get a whole lot of the actual peanut aspect of it, but I got a lot of the really nice jelly type boysenberry, and it went really well with the Imperial Stout and the bourbon. So my number two is going to be what I just had, the Oud Tarte Reserve. Like I said, this is definitely up there when it comes to Flemish Reds. That's awesome. Which would make my number one the Vintage Black Tuesday, the 2015 Black Tuesday, which is just an Imperial Stout aged in bourbon barrels. But at a hefty 19.9%, it is a bear. Uh, like I said, I, um, I prefer it fresher. And I think on on almost all their beers, they actually say that this beer is made, is crafted to be consumed on the fresh side. So, I mean, people can obviously age them as I have, but uh, I think I'm seeing, especially with Black Tuesday here, that I prefer the fresh Black Tuesday to the aged. Still really good, as you can tell, but yeah. So uh, one thing I have been doing, I've been keeping track on my phone of all the beers I'm doing for this and putting them in a particular order. So at this point, you know, as I go down the, the, the line and do more of these episodes, I might not necessarily be able to tell you my entire ranking because it might get super long. But for now, I can do that. And I'm not going to remind you exactly what they were. If you need to remember what they were, you can look them up or you can go back and re-listen. Um, so my number eight beer was at Cherry Glazier. My number seven beer was the Curiosity. My number six beer was the PB and Jelly Thursday. Uh, my number five beer was the Black Two—oh, tu- no, that doesn't make sense. One, two. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes my number 5 my number 5 beer is the oud tart reserve my number 4 beer is the 2015 black tuesday my number 3 beer is the ada boysenberry my number 2 beer is the s'more bubbles and my number 1 beer th- so far over 8 beers on these episodes is the wee heavy coconuts so i think going forward once i get to the next one or Two more. I might just do like top five or something like that, but uh, you can send me an email. Let me know what you think. Uh, my email address, our email address, is brutalbattlepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this. I hope you're enjoying these brewery beer episodes because I sure am. Uh, but for now, I'm going to finish off this Oud Tart Reserve very happily, and until next time, keep it brutal. I feel so-